A.W. Tozer said this, God created us to be worshipers first, workers only second. He went on to say that we have no reason to go do anything until we've spent time with him, until we've beheld his face. Put another way, we need to take time to minister to the Lord before we run off to minister for the Lord. David, in verse 4 of Psalm 27, he's talking about this one thing that he must do, not five things. When you think of 2015, maybe you've sat down and made your list of your 10 resolutions for 2015. David doesn't talk about five things or 10 things. He talks about one thing, spending time in the presence of God, beholding the beauty of the Lord. We would call that worship. Having been a worship pastor for many years, I've done a ton of study on worship. And uh, just real quick, there are two words, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, one in Hebrew, one in Greek, that are most often translated worship in your English Bibles. In the Old Testament, there are actually four words, Hebrew words translated worship. Three are only used a few times. One is used 96 times, and it's the Hebrew word shakah, and it simply means to bow down, to bow down. In the New Testament, there are five Greek words translated worship. Four are used only four times. One is used 58 times. It's actually two Greek words. And Jim Williams, you can correct me because you're a scholar. If I got this right, pros kineo, pros is towards kineo, to kiss. It means to turn and kiss. One speaks of submission. The other speaks of adoration. And when you think about your life, living under the authority of the God who created the world and who made you, Worship is bowing down before a God who's bigger than you are, giving him honor and glory, and also adoring him. He loves to hear us sing songs from the heart, just like any father loves it when his son and comes up and says, Dad, I love you. And like yesterday, I picked up my three grandkids, John Mark's three and Tammy's three kids, and took them to Penguins of Madagascar. It was a blast. But anyway, we're, we're dri driving along, and Jude's in the back, and he just turned nine. He goes, Pops, I love you. I was like, what do you want? <laughs> Anything. You can have it. How much money? It's yours. So God loves it when we bow before him, but also love him. Not because he's an egomaniac, because he loves it when we spend time in his presence. Worship is all through the scripture. Let me just give you three little incidents in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 14, after Jesus calmed the storm, remember they were out on the lake and the disciples were terrified. They thought they were gonna die. They would have been bowing down in the boat uh, in fear. But this, the scripture says in Matthew 14, those who were in the boat after Jesus calmed the storm worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. And in John chapter nine, we read about a man who was born blind he was older at this time, maybe as old as 40, and Jesus opens his eyes. Can you imagine being blind for years and years and Jesus opens your eyes? Here's what he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then, of course, we just finished Christmas time, and I'm sure Christmas Eve, you guys read the Christmas story. We read about the wise men, and they came into the house, the Bible says, and they fell down. That's that Old Testament concept. They fell down and worshiped him, and opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I don't know about you, but the past couple of weeks, Christmas, I love Christmas, our family loves Christmas, but I'm busier than normal. Not only do we have all our Christmas Eve gatherings, but there's all the gifts and family coming into town. I've noticed in my own life, the busier I get, the harder it is for me to spend time here. I tend to spend less time here the busier I get. Are any of you like me? 
The rest of you are lying. Okay. <laughs> but here's what happens. The less time I spend in the scriptures, <laughs> the more I see things in my life that don't please God. The less time I spend in his presence, the worse off I am. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he says that we, you and I who follow Jesus, and I pray you all are following him today, if you've yet to give your life to him, get baptized. That, that's where you declare publicly this thing that you've believed internally. And you go into the water and, and your old life is buried and gone. You come up out of the water. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. If you haven't taken that step, man, take it now at the beginning of 2015. Don't think about it and wait. But he says that we who follow Jesus are to be a fragrance of Christ to the world. That means as you go to work and as you're at home, as your wife looks at you, or as your children look at you, and as you hang out with your friends, there, would be, there should be something about Jesus that you bring into that conversation, into that situation. There should be some perfume, some fragrance of him. The problem is the busier we are going and doing and the less time we spend in, our, in his presence, the more our perfume starts to fade. And I've noticed in my life, I'm not giving him gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm giving him leftovers, throwaways, and I hurt for it, and the people closest to me hurt for it. Now, Psalm 27.4, I could have picked, you know, when people say, hey, come teach. You can teach anything you want. I go, yeah, I get to teach anything I want. Then I go, okay, whoa, <laughs> what am I going to teach? There's a lot in here. But I prayed about it, and I really felt the Lord leading me to preach on this verse. But there's a reason for it. This verse has become part of my heart and part of my life. But it goes back to a day a man knocked on my office door. You know, we all have mentors, people we look up to in different ways. And sometimes, in fact, I got asked this past week, so like, who is it that really mentored you? And I said, it's not one person. I said, if you're the 12 disciples, all you need is one person, Jesus. But most of us need multiple people. And God has used multiple people in my life. Some of you are here today and have impacted me, and Jim and Gail being one of the couples that my wife and I admire. And Jose and Carmen, though he's younger than me, I, I, every time I'm around him, something that comes out of his mouth makes me want to be more like Jesus. And Tony and Beth Vitasich are here, and they impact us. They have the same love to see people's families be centered on Jesus as we do. And I could go on and on. I better stop right now. The Albions, I'll shut up. Okay, anyway, many of you have impacted my life. But one of them is a man who's older than me named Glenn Miller. Not the big band guy from the 40s. He's dead. Okay, a different Glenn Miller. Uh, Glenn is older than me. He's more godly than me. He knows more scripture than me. He's more disciplined than me. But when my wife and I were just starting to have a family, we looked at him, and he had two kids, and they were like seven or eight or nine, and we thought, that's what a Christian family looks like. That's how I hope my kids turn out. So we would go over and ask him questions. And he's always impacted my life. He's a basketball player, a coach, a teacher, real disciplined. By the time I get out of bed, even if I get up at six, he's been up since four. This is no exaggeration. He's already run three miles, done a bunch of sit-ups, memorized three scriptures, that kind of a guy. And I love it when he's around me for a while, then I want him to go away because it's too convicting. <laughs> but he would, he would kind of shore up this flaky musician in me. But when you memorize scripture, it comes out of your mouth. And so we were on staff together at the same church in California for a number of years in the Bay Area. 
It was a big building, three stories, and his office was way on one end, mine was on the other, and periodically he would come by my office. I was a music guy, so I had my door closed most of the time because I'm playing the piano, making noise, and, and he would knock on the door. He had never come in, so one day I was working on something, I heard a knock, he go, come in. He cracked the door, and it was, it was him, and he said, Comer, how's it going? He said, Psalm 27.4, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Have a nice day, Comer. And he closed the door and left. And he left, but then I opened my Bible and I read it again. And I began to meditate on it. I was a worship pastor. I thought, here's David saying this one thing. I'm going to spend time in the presence of God. And so I decided to memorize it. By the way, some of you have known the Lord for many years, but when's the last time you memorized a verse? Memorizing scripture and then letting it take root in your heart is gonna, it's, God's gonna use it over and over and over again. So over the years, it's just, it'll come up, it'll come to my mind. When I was praying about this message, it came to my mind again. And that's why I'm sharing this, this, this verse with you today. He left, but the scripture didn't leave. David says in verse four of Psalm 27, one thing I've asked from the Lord. The NIV, if you have an NIV, it says that, by the way, I'm using New American Standard, God's favorite translation. Anyway, go. <laughs> Just joking. Most of, most of you have an NIV. This only do I seek. That's a good translation. This only. I want you to think about your life in 2015. All kinds of things you want to do, things you're looking forward to. This only do I seek. David says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to meditate on him, and I want to seek him in his temple. This Old Testament lingo for I want to be in his presence. In Psalm 84, David says something different. He says, a day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. David is saying, I want to spend time in the presence of the Lord. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and let him change me. And I want to seek him intently. And this is why David wrote so many good songs. The whole book of Psalms are songs, and David wrote many of them. Like Psalm 40, verse 3, he says, He, God, Yahweh, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love Psalm 40. I feel like it's my psalm. My wife feels like it's her psalm. But anyway, it's, it's all of our psalm. When you come to Christ, he changes your life and he puts a new song in your mouth. Literally for me, I played in a band for nine years. I was singing the world's music and this was a new song to me. And I've not stopped singing it. He has changed my life. And David said, people are gonna see me and see me having spent time in the presence of the Lord, walking with the Lord. Many are gonna see what God has done for me and they're gonna put their trust in the Lord. God wants to do that for each of you in 2015. There are people that are watching you right in your own home. Is your activity, are you so close to the Lord that, that the life of Jesus is just flowing out of you? you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus, it's not hard. It's not like, oh, I'm going to work so hard to be godly. <laughs> Jesus said, abide in me and you shall bear much, what? Fruit. You stay connected to him and let his love flow through you and his peace flow through you and his joy flow through you and people around you are blessed. And David said people are going to see me and many are going to put their trust in the Lord. That's, by the way, why we share Jesus with people because they aren't yet singing this new song. But some of them whom you know 
whom you are praying for, even your own family members, maybe your dad, your mom, your brother or sister, one day, not all of them, the Bible says here, many, David says many will put their trust in the Lord. Some of them are one day will be singing this new song. They'll be worshiping like you're worshiping because your prayers have been answered and they've been saved. And if you've been praying for somebody for a long time, this is just a little aside before we go on with the message, don't quit. Don't quit. Sometimes I've been praying for my dad for... I prayed for my dad for 17 years, and then I got to baptize him when he was 67 years old. So I encourage you, keep on. Anyway, let's move on. David was a leader. David was a warrior. I mean, he killed Goliath, but David was a worshiper. And he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, I want to spend time in his presence. Notice he says, not just occasionally, but continually all the days of my life. Now, I know we're all busy. Don't you hate it, though, when somebody says to you, well, I know you're busy, but you always find time to do the things that are important to you. Don't you hate, do you hate it when people say that? Am I the only one? The reason I hate it is because it's true. We'll say, well, I don't have time to be in the scriptures, and yet, if we really look at what we're doing with our time, we really do have time to be in the scriptures. All I want to do today, I told you, simple message, one verse, one thing, is just encourage you and myself about the importance of taking time to do the one thing that we can't neglect not just today, but every day, every day in 2015. Now, you remember the story of Mary and Martha recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Most of you know that story. Mary and Martha were sisters. Their brother was Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. But Jesus would come to their house often. He loved Mary and Martha and and Lazarus. And he would spend time with them. He would eat meals there. And in Luke 10, we read the story. Jesus has come to the house of Mary and Martha. Martha is making preparations, probably making lunch or dinner or whatever. But the Bible says Mary was, quote, seated at the feet of Jesus. Now, Martha, the Bible says, was distracted by all her preparations. So she came into Jesus and said to him, hey, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the preparations? In other words, don't you care that I'm doing all the work and she's just sitting over here? And I'm sure Martha expected Jesus to say, that's right, Mary, you know, come back and go help your sister. And Mary, Martha would have smugly said, good. That's not what Jesus said. Here's what he said. We'll put it on the screen right here. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. And look what he said here. Really only how many? Really only one. Does that sound like Psalm 27? Four? One thing I've asked the Lord. Really only one, Martha, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I don't think Jesus is angry at Martha. I, I think he was looking forward to the food. What he was saying to Martha is, Martha, really, only one thing is needful. I love that you're working for me, but I want you with me. And those of you that are workers and doers, God's using you, and we need workers and doers, but all of us need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Every time we see Mary in Scripture, three times we see her, she's always at the feet of Jesus, if you study it, once for comfort, once for instruction, and once simply for worship. She knew, she knew that this was the most needful thing. It reminds me of a song we used to sing way back in the olden days, in the 90s. <laughs> Jose, I first heard this song when we were in Chicago. Uh, Jose and I were in Chicago for way too long. But anyway, uh, we, I went to Willow Creek one Wednesday night, that f- famous church there, and their, their worship, their believer services Wednesday night, and they led this song, and I never forgot it. It goes like this. One thing is needful, oh my Father, 
One thing is needful, O oh my God, to sit at your feet and pour out my love. This thing is needful, O oh my God. This thing is needful, O oh my God. And then it went on and said, I sit and worship you, my Father. I sit and worship you, my God. A.W. Tozer, we have no need to go do anything for him until we've spent time in his presence. Now, maybe you're thinking, sit at his feet, really? That's going to take time. Why should I do this? Why is it the one thing is needful? Why is it so important? Well, for starters, it's the, create, the reason you were created. You were created by God to glorify God and to serve him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've Walk with the Lord for, I don't know, three years, five years, seven years. But maybe you haven't been spending much time day by day here. And maybe you're feeling like you're treading water a little bit in your life. You had all this momentum and now you're kind of confused. There's no joy, no sense of mission. Maybe, just maybe, the answer is to spend time with him and get your marching orders from him. You were created to glorify God. That's his purpose for you. It's also the program of heaven. Read Revelation. We get glimpses into heaven, and all of heaven is worshiping God. That's not the only thing we're going to do there. We're going to serve him and be used by him, and those who are faithful here in this life are going to be given more responsibility then, but we're also going to be worshiping him. Revelation chapter 4, we get one of those glimpses. We see all of heaven worshiping God, and if, if you If you are saved by Jesus, you're going to be in this scene. It says, and we'll put it on the screen, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. There's that worship is falling down and giving adoration to God. And they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Here's why. For you created all things. Say that with me. For you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. (laughs) That phrase, you created all things, all things, you're in there somewhere. (laughs) If you're here today, it's because he gave you life. He created you. He gave you breath. We were all made for him. And the the Bible says everything was made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Psalm 4511 simply says, because he is your Lord, bow down to him. Because we belong to him, we want to serve him. So why is worship so important? Why does A.W. Tozer say it has to come first? Why is seeking him the one thing that is necessary? Glad you asked. I want to give you three reasons. And if you're taking notes, you can write them down. First of all, worship changes my perspective. Spending time in the presence of the Father changes my perspective. When I take my eyes off myself and put them on my Father. When I take my eyes off of my needs and put them on the one who provides for my needs, when I look at all my fears and I give them to him and he gives me peace, when I meditate on him and place my trust in him, when I realize I have a God who made me, his son who died for me, the Holy Spirit who longs to be a guide to me, my perspective changes. But in my life, that only happens when I sit at his feet. When I'm running around, I'm as worried and frazzled and freaked out as the next person. Oh, no. Well, what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I'm like, what happened? How am I going to pay that bill? What's going to happen? But when I spend time in the presence of the Lord and I focus on him, my perspective changes. When you realize Jesus is with you, 
He's at work in you. Your perspective changes. Suddenly, you're not so uptight about the scratch on your car or the bruise to your ego because you realize, I belong to him and I'm here to serve him. And if you're a young mom and you're exhausted and you're into the whining thing, like nobody appreciates me and I'm working so hard and how am I going to do this? I'm exhausted. Suddenly you realize, man, I've been given two children. Like the family was up or they'd be given four. <laughs> that's a lot of work. And that's a blessing though. I've been given these kids and I want them to love Jesus and really walk with him. Well, I better love Jesus and really walk with him because they're going to look to me to see what that looks like. I better become a passionate Jesus follower so I can teach them how to become a passionate Jesus follower. You know, that's actually the most important thing in my life right now. And suddenly your eyes aren't on yourself. They're on the privilege of taking these gifts that God has given to you and pouring into them and reading the Bible to them and loving them and providing a, a secure home for them where they hear about the Lord and they see what it looks like. They see what a healthy marriage looks like with Jesus in the center. And they see a dad who's walking with the Lord and a mom who, when they wake up in the morning, mom's reading her Bible. They, they see these things in action. Your whole perspective changes. Work changes. You go, I don't really like my job. I'm just there because it's a good, I'm getting a good paycheck. Suddenly you think, no, no, wait a minute. Because it says in Colossians, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. I'm actually serving Jesus at Intel or Starbucks or whatever. When I go there, I'm representing him. And he says, this job has value. And so you do even your work as under the Lord. Your perspective changes. But it's only going to happen when you spend time with him. Second thing that happens, worship changes my priorities. Changes my perspective, and it changes my priorities. The things that seem so importantly, important suddenly don't seem that important. And the things that we've been neglecting suddenly take on an urgency. I heard Francis Chan speak a couple years ago. Most of you know who he is, and he was speaking here in Portland. I never heard him in person before. And what he, what he spoke on that day was he got up and he said, I just realized I have one year left with my oldest daughter, and she's off to college. And I realized there are so many things I still have to teach her. And he said he made a list of 10. For the next year, these are the 10 things. He realized I was just like, oh, I've only got one year. This is urgent. These are the kind of things God does in your heart as you spend time with him. Worship changes my perspective. Worship changes my priorities. And lastly, lastly, are you almost done? <laughs> Don't get too excited. This is my last point, but I have a lot of things I want to say about this last point. Worship changes me. Worship changes me. The more time I spend with the Lord, the more I become like the Lord because he transforms me. Yes, my perspective becomes his perspective, my priorities become his priorities, but even more importantly, I begin to reflect his character. I actually become more godly. What's godly? More like God in the way I talk, the way I look at circumstances, the way I think and listen in the way I treat other people, beginning with the ones I live with. Now, I don't know who you live with, you know, my, my little circle's really small now. We had four kids. My, my youngest son, Matthew, just got married a few months ago. So we had four kids. They're all married and out of the house now. Uh, so for a long time, there were six of us. Now there's just me, my wife, and my dog, Jackson. <laughs> and my dog, Jackson, he's easy to love because he's sinless. He's like perfect. Well, not sinless. He's almost sinless. 99% sinless. He's the best dog. But he's, he's 11 or 12 now, and our kids are always saying, Dad, are you going to get another dog when Jackson dies? I go, what's the point? I, said, I call him best dog. There's no dog can compare with him. He's easy to live with. My wife, on the other hand, 
Her husband, on the other hand, listen, we love each other. We, we, are, we are enjoying this stage of life. It's fun to just spoil the grandkids, give them anything they want, give them licorice, send them home to their parents, right? It's a blast. We love each other, be married 36 years, but we also at times rub against each other and cause some friction because when you get... We haven't yet received our glorified bodies. When you get two new creations who love the Lord and are walking with the Lord, and yet we still have our flesh that raises its ugly head at times, you get side by side with somebody, there's going to be a little bit of friction. And you know what? The less time I spend in the presence of the Lord, the more friction I'm going to be causing. You say, really? Like, you're old and that's still true of you? Yes. I have a long ways to go. I want to be like Jim. And Jim would probably tell you, he wants to be even more like Jesus still. We won't be like him till we see him face to face, for then we shall, shall see him as he is, it says in 1 John. Anyway, so here, let me just tell you two stories before we wrap up today. One about myself, one about my wife. Recently, and by reason I mean about two months ago, and I'm kind of open when I teach, so whatever. Here it is. I found myself getting a little crabby, a little critical, a little judgmental, basically not fun to be around. And nothing to do with my wife at all. Just, just uh, you know, West Side's been through a whole bunch of transition. Everybody's jobs are changing. And I don't handle transition well. I tend to worry and fret. And, and then, you know, I wouldn't do that, you know. And I was just uh, not handling it well. And one day, and, and of course, when you don't handle it well, the person that sees it first is the one you're closest to. My dog, he just thinks I'm great. He doesn't get this. Anyway, my wife, however, she was the brunt of some of my short-tempered stuff and ungraciously worded things and critical comments. And she's a super loyal person. So if I would say something that wasn't even about her, she stood up for, you know, justice. Anyway, she said to me one day, she goes, I think you need counseling. (laughs) When you're a pastor and your wife says you need counseling, that's not a good thing, all right? She goes, I think there's something deep down in there that you're angry about, you know? And I said, no, there's no deep down anything. I don't have any, some hidden sin or something. I said, I... (laughs) I just need to spend more time with the Lord. And so I said to her, look, I'm going to go to the wonderful counselor, Jesus. And so I I made this decision. It was a simple decision. I made a decision to try to more consistently live out Psalm 27.4. So I, I love to read the newspaper in the morning. I've been taught by Luis Palau and others to read your Bible and current events side by side and see what God's doing in the world. I take the Wall Street Journal. I love business and finance and papers come to my house. I'm old school. I don't like reading papers on devices. So, but sometimes, especially two months ago, I was reaching for the paper first and the Wall Street Journal. I love the Wall Street Journal. I'd read, oh man, that's a great article. Oh, that's a great, I gotta give that editorial to John Mark and Jose. And then I'd read, pretty soon I go, oh, whoa, like I better read my Bible real quick. And so I get to be to work. And so I'd, I'd read, I don't have time for the whole Bible reading. I'll just spend, you know, I'll read Proverbs and one Psalm. And then I'd shut. This was happening too much in my life. So I just made a decision. I'm gonna get up in the morning. I'm gonna reach for this first. And I'm gonna spend more time in it. And so that first morning I got up and I, I, I have a, a read through the Bible thing that I do, which I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. So I started reading my regular Bible reading, and then I started not just closing it and reaching for the paper, but spending some time in the presence of the Lord, which is listening as well as talking. And I felt like God said, pick up your journal. So I went over to my, my, um, my bookshelf, and I grabbed my journal, which is very manly, covered in leather. Um, I don't know about you guys. Some of you journal every day. That's really good. I'm like, I am impressed. You're like Glenn Miller, discipline. 
my journal, if you read it, I only journal in crisis. <laughs> so you'll see like it's 1991 and there's 50 pages. And then there's nothing till 1997. <laughs> then there's 40 pages. And so I was reading all these transitions. Oh, God, I don't know what's going to happen. And what happens if this happens? And I think you're moving me, but I don't know. And why did you do that? And I don't understand that. And then every time it was how God entered the mess, brought me onto solid ground, did these miraculous things. I'm like, whoa, I forgot all about that. Lord, you are so good. And I never would be here if you hadn't done that. And so my faith was just uh, being built and my heart started to overflow. And I realized I'm living out what it says in Psalms that we should feed on his faithfulness. We should look back and look at the great things he has done in our life and realize God hasn't changed. If he did those things, then he's going to do them now. And my perspective began to change. But one day wasn't enough. I did this consistently, some days better than others, but I tried to do this more consistently for the next couple of months. And at the end of about two months, one day out of the blue, my wife, she just blurted out without God. She goes, I'm amazed at how nice you've been. And she said, you even vacuumed the house. <laughs> what she doesn't know is I love to vacuum the house. Don't tell her. When I empty the dishwasher, she thinks I'm a knight in shining armor. Don't tell her. I love to empty the dishwasher. Well, what she saw was that God was changing me. My perspective changed. My priorities changed. But I began to change. And it wasn't, boom, different. It happened over a period of days and weeks. Because, you see, I'd been walking too much in the flesh. And I know the Bible. I don't know the Bible as well as Jim Williams. I don't know the Bible as well as Glenn Miller. But I know the Bible. Galatians 5.16, Paul said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's true. That also means the reverse is true. Walk after the flesh, and you will not carry out the desire of the Spirit. I'm either filled with the Spirit, or I'm not. You can be a follower of Jesus... But if you aren't filled with his spirit, if there's junk in your life, unforgiveness, sexual immorality, pornography, sin, whatever it might be, just too much worldliness and not enough time here, he wants to flow through you like a river of living water. He wants you to bear much fruit, but it's all clogged. And it's not because of him, it's because of you and me. Well, I didn't have some gross sin that I knew about. My thing was pride and selfishness. By the way, at the root of all sin, it's pride. I don't need God. I can do this by myself. And selfishness, I'm all about me. And so what was happening in my life is my wife wasn't being blessed and God wasn't able to use me. I wasn't walking in the Spirit as much as I wanted to. Oh, there were glimpses of it here and there, but I was grumbling and complaining. Listen, what I didn't need was to work harder at being nice. What I needed was to sit longer in the presence of the one who is nice. And let him change me. Jesus is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And as I did, he changed my perspective. He changed my priorities. And to my wife's delight, he changed me. <laughs> he did. How about this for a New Year's resolution? I want to sit longer in the presence of the Father. Or how about this? I want to be more like Jesus at the end of 2015 than I am today. I would say that's, those would be very, very biblical and good resolutions to have. The question is, is that the desire of your heart? If it is, those closest to you are going to notice a change in you. Second story, uh, and I have my wife's permission to tell you this. She's read my notes, right? Most of you know I'm married to a Mary. Her name's Diane, but she's a Mary, not a Martha. 
she sits at the feet of Jesus. She writes a blog called He Speaks in the Silence. But even Marys need an attitude check from time to time to be sure they have the right heart posture. A couple of weeks ago, not a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, my wife was experiencing her own version of walking in the flesh. She would tell you that one of the sins she struggles with, as do a lot of women, is the sin of self-pity, and some men as well. Especially you know, like if you're a young mom and you're working so hard, you feel like your husband doesn't appreciate you. Poor me, I'm working too hard, I deserve more than this, nobody noticed what I did. And so she, one day, because of a specific thing, which I'm not going to tell you because it's none of your business, but I know. Anyway, she coddled herself in this attitude and she sank into her own pit of despair. And I, and I don't mean the Princess Bride one, all right? And she couldn't reason herself out of it. She couldn't talk herself out of it. She just was, and I, I tried to help, but, but she's, that was making things worse. Those of you husbands, you know what that's like, right? Men like to fix things. Well, sweetheart, let me just tell you what I think you ought to do. And it goes, it's not working. You know, it's like... So what did she do? The next morning, she got up early, like she always does, and she went out to her little writer's cabin in our backyard. We lived on Bull Mountain for years in a, in a large house we bought with my mom. Anyway, my mom moved back to California, and so uh, we were in this big house. We finally sold it about a year ago, and we bought this little, ugly, 1969, 1,200-square-foot ranch house in Lake Oswego. I mean, it's, it was ugly. I mean, there's nothing nice about this house. And we renovated it. My wife turned an ugly ranch into a cozy cottage. But the problem is it's only 1,200 square feet and has only two bedrooms. And my office is there. And you probably picked up, I'm very loud. And, and I'm even loud if I'm on the phone. Jose, how's it going? You know, and she's, she's an introvert. And she, you know, I process verbally. She processes internally. And so how is she going to get away from me? <laughs> In her old house, I would just go up. She put me on the top floor. <laughs> where I can close the door. Here's like I'm right on top of her. So we built, we built her this little cottage so she could go out in her introvertedness and spend time with the Lord and flee me. Can you imagine wanting to flee me? But anyway, we built this little cottage. I have a picture of it for you. Here it is. Uh, did you hear that? So she went out there the next morning. It's beautiful. It's got electricity and heater and everything. And... Um, we thank God that he gave us the funds to build it. But um, here's what happened. She got out there, and she decided, she bought this uh, girly-looking journal. <laughs> this is not mine. This is silver, shiny silver. And she decided, I'm going to start writing down all the things God has done for me, but I'm specifically going to ask him, why am I in this pit? And so she began to ask God to reveal to her what was going on in her heart, and he just began speaking. And she just started writing, and she started thanking God for this and thanking God for that and realizing this thing that had gotten her into the pit, God was so good to not give her that because he'd already given her this. And her, her perspective, within a matter of about two hours, her perspective changed, her priorities changed. And I remember I was sitting inside at my chair where I read my Bible by our fireplace. She came in with this big smile on her face, gave me a hug. I love you. I'm so thankful for my life and my kids. And I was like, whoa, what happened to you? She'd spent time in her little cottage in the presence of the Lord. She even looked different. Her countenance changed. Now, some of you have seen this cottage because she Instagrammed it, and people started saying, I want one of those. And one girl you know, Instagrammed over to her husband, build me one. So all I'd say to you is you can't have that one because I like the way she treats me when she comes out of there. <laughs> Instead of complaining, she started praising. Instead of grumbling, she started giving thanks. 
At first, it was a sacrifice. By the way, when you don't feel like lifting your hands, you don't feel like, there are those days, but you do it anyway. I think that's what the Bible calls a sacrifice of praise. Your pride has to go out the window. And it says in Psalm 50, verse 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Every time my wife writes in this book, every time she confesses her sin, every time she gives thanks to him, writes down what he's doing, she pleases and honors God. John Corson, who's a pastor in Southern Oregon that I highly respect, said this, and I quote, when we, as followers of Jesus, when we complain and murmur, we make God look bad, as if he isn't good. What we want is sympathy, when our life should be a symphony of praise. I like that because I do too much of the sympathy thing. I wonder what would happen in your life, in your marriage, in your family, if 2015 was the year that you started sitting longer in his presence and let grumbling turn to giving of thanks. You don't need a little cottage. I mean, it's great if you can have one, but my wife didn't have a cottage until a few months ago. We've been married 36 years. You don't need a little cottage. You can put the picture down now because people are going to start to covet it. All right. You, you don't need a little cottage, you just need a little corner somewhere with your Bible open, a cup of coffee on the table, a journal in your hand as you report for duty to the only one who can really change you from the inside out. And if at all possible, I strongly say do it in the morning, do it in the morning. Uh, some people say, I just don't, I'm just not a morning person, I read the Bible at night and I pray at night. Well, that's great, but it's kind of hard to pray at night about the day you just went through. <laughs> You know, you say, Lord, I really messed up in that meeting where I lost my temper. Please forgive me. Where in the morning you can say, Lord, I've got this meeting at 10 o'clock and I want to honor you as I walk through it. I think the morning is the time to do it. David knew that. Psalm 5, he said, in the morning, O Lord, you'll hear my voice. And then I love this. He said, in the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. I love that. I prayed some prayers this morning and I'm watching to see God answer them. It's a, there's a time to wrestle with God. There's a time to wait on God. But what's really fun is to get up in the morning, spend time in the presence of God, pray, and then watch. And sometimes he answers your prayer that very day and you start laughing. Like, I just prayed about this this morning and look what happened. And other times it's like three weeks, three months, three years, but you still have this unction. Keep praying, keep praying, because I'm hearing your prayers and I love that you're spending time with me and I am going to answer that prayer. I'm already answering that prayer. You just can't see the answer yet. Other times you pray, and after a while, you feel like the Lord's saying, don't pray about that anymore, pray about this instead. Jesus got up early, Mark chapter 1, early in the morning, while it was still dark, the Bible says he got up, and he went off to a lonely place, I don't think it was a cottage, it was probably on some rock somewhere, and he was praying there. As we wrap up, I just want to encourage you to spend time with the Father in his presence, and in the scriptures. Because God speaks through creation, he speaks through other people, he speaks in all kinds of ways, but I know he speaks here because this is his inspired word. Every time I open it, this is the word of God, and I know that he's going to speak. I, my plan is to read through the Bible um, every year, and uh, I use this little chart that I created. I think it's the best one because I created it. Um, I created this on purpose because I couldn't find one that I liked. Most of them, you don't get to the New Testament until like September. And like we live under the New Covenant. I was longing to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm reading, you know, Ezekiel. And, and so I put one. And I love to read Proverbs every day. 
because it's the book of wisdom, and there's 31 chapters, one for every day, and I love to be in the Psalms every day. So I put this one together where you have Old Testament, New Testament, side by side. You finish the New Testament by September, and then you're encouraged to still read in it, but uh, in Psalms every day, a Psalm every day. You read Proverbs 12 times, Psalms more than twice, and you're in the Old Testament and New Testament. And so this is on uh, the Jesus Church website, but also I brought some hard. Some of you are like me. You like to have something in your Bible that you can check off, and this is made pretty sturdy. They're out in the, the foyer out there if you want to pick one up. But whether you use my chart or you have a whole other method, I just encourage you to spend time with the Lord in 2015 not just once or twice or once a week or twice a week, but all the days of your life, as David said. I want to be in the presence of the Lord and behold his beauty all the days of my life. Why do I need to be in the scriptures? Because I don't know about you, I tend to forget the things I should remember and remember the things I should forget. And it says in Timothy that all scripture is inspired and it's going to reprove me and correct me and train me and teach me and I need all of that. However you choose to do it, if you will sit at his feet, like Mary did, if you'll dwell in his presence like David did, if you'll be like Jesus and get up early in the morning, he's gonna change your perspective, he's gonna change your priorities, and he will change you. And trust me, the people around you, they'd like to see some change in you. <laughs> They'll like you even more. They like you now, but when they see more of Jesus in you, you're gonna be more of a blessing to them. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is the one thing that is needful every day. I started reading through the Bible January 1st, Genesis 1 and 2, January 2nd, 3 and 4, January 3rd, 5 and 6. You know what I read in chapter 5? Enoch walked with God for 365 years, and God took him. God, he was not for God took him, okay? And I, it just hit me, 365 years. How about if I walk with Jesus 365 days this year for every year that God gives me? Can you do that? Can you do that? Will you do that? I can't make you do that, and God's not going to make you do it either. But if Enoch can walk with God for 365 years, I think I could walk with God 365 days by his grace as I seek him. Last thing I want to say, then we'll stand for prayer. This is kind of strange, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yesterday, <laughs> I had this craving for Chinese food, so I went and bought an order of Kung Pao chicken. And I walked into this restaurant, and there was a poster on the wall for China, and it said, 2014, the year of the horse. So when they handed me my food, I said, can I ask you a question? It was, it, was a, it was a Chinese guy. I said, 2014, the year of the horse. What's 2015? He said, the year sheep. The year of the sheep. Well, isn't it interesting? We're all sheep. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and they follow me. And, and I just pray that this week, this year, every month, we will do what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than all, no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. We're just sheep and sheep 
want to be in the presence of their shepherd. And I think this longing is deep in your heart to spend more and more time with the Father. I just encourage you for your own good, for your family's good, and for the glory of God to do it. Amen?